Hello, everyone, and welcome to DirtyOldMen.tv, episode number four. I am Simon, and of course, uh, my co-host, as always, Mr. Colin Roundtree, is joining us as well. Um, today, we are extremely fortunate to have uh, the venerable uh, Diane Duke, executive director of the Free Speech Coalition, uh, which, if you're not familiar with it, basically represents the adult industry uh, to the media, government officials, and the broader business community. Um, on issues ranging from a whole bunch of stuff, uh, copyright infringement, uh, Calosha regulations, uh, lobbying against the recent dot triple X fiasco, uh, replacing AIM healthcare clinic for the adult industry, uh, battling mandatory economies. I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff. And we're going to be talking about all of this in today's episode. So Diane, thank you so much for taking time out of your extremely busy schedule. We very much appreciate it. And, uh, thank you and welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, Diane, from that intro you sound like a valkyrie in a Wagnerian <laughs> saga she's, the, she's, the, she's a warrior um, warrior queen <laughs> warrior queen of, <laughs> of the free speech coalition I wanted to just kind of um, start out by saying you know I I so much personally appreciate you and Free Speech Coalition for what it does. Um, I've been in the industry for 17 years at this point and there's been many <clears throat> attempts um, all failed um, to have some sort of a traditional lobbying group for the adult industry. Um, we, we all know that the adult industry is a lot of entrepreneurs that have got their own way of doing things. So anytime over the years that anybody's tried to do something, which would be like a professional lobbying group, it kind of fell into herding cats and, you know, people just arguing. So the Free Speech Coalition has been going on for a long time and yep. really really is the, uh, is the core for what we can call a lobbying group for the adult industry. So congratulations. Um, with that, I want to lead into a question. Can you give me a basic mission statement? Um, not sounding like it's on a brochure, but just talk to us about what, what it well, is that Free Speech Coalition does and, you know, sort of what you do in conjunction with that. We, you know, our, our mission, actual mission statement is to lead, protect, and support the growth and development of the adult entertainment community. And so that's broad, and we do that by being the watchdog for the industry, by lobbying, um, by offering business benefits, for the industry, and then as a last resort, um, litigation. And so, that you know, that's my brochure statement. But you know, we are the trade association for the adult entertainment industry. So everything from you know, we we're currently suing the federal government on a record keeping um, horrible rec record keeping regulation that's impossible for our wait, members wait, to follow. Wait, Twenty two fifty seven. You're Twenty two fifty seven. And then um, you know. Right now, I know, Colin, I'm working on health benefits <laughs> for all industry to try to get health benefits for the entire industry to be able to, um, as a group, get health benefits to really lower costs for businesses. We're eagerly anticipating that so we can dump our regional provider and come over to something that's not bending us over without kissing us first. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got some good news yesterday, so I'll be in touch. Oh, good. Excellent. So, wait, can you actually describe that a little bit in terms of health benefits? Are you talking about as in, like, uh, what you would call regular employment? You know, employers uh, offer regular health benefits to their employees. Is that for your average model that's going into a set? Is that, I mean, because a lot of models are like contract workers, right? They're, they're working for many different companies. Does that apply or is it per company or how does that work? What we're what we're doing right now, and what and Colin's one of the companies. You know, your 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 company was one of the ones that that called us. We've been called by a number of companies. I think every business, whether it's adult or just a regular business, is going through pains with health insurance benefits for their employees. And we're seeing. I mean, just FSC, we see double digit increases 
every year and everybody has been seeing it. Some people have seen increases as much as 30%. So we're um, really trying to help our businesses keep those, pro those costs low and so that they can still offer benefits um, for their employees, but it's not going to break the bank for them. I think, you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out, okay, can I, can I offer health benefits and keep the same staffing ratio that I have now? And, you know, it's either do I lay somebody off or do I keep the, the employee benefits going? So it's been a really difficult choice for a lot of folks because they've had to downsize because of the cost and, you know, our industry's revenues have, have been a lot tighter because of piracy, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. So right now, so what we, what we, we're an association that has been going on, you know, we've been here since 1991. So we're a very well-established association, but insurance companies are not writing association um, policies right now. And I think they have just decided not to do that anymore because they don't want to discount the policies. But one of the things that we're looking at is a preferred employer's um, association, which would be like SAG. So the, the, there would be one, um, you'd have to do health insurance, but you do your payroll through this company too. So it'd be health insurance payroll and probably workers' comp. If you could bundle those things in your company and put them under this umbrella, which you know it would still you still have all your individual company choices, but um, but we could as a group make these types of purchases. So instead of you know like Free Speech Coalition, we have three employees here. Instead of us going in as a small business, we would be um, we would be brokering a business of you know it would look like well over a hundred hundred it would be hundreds of people right. involved. Mm -hmm. So. So that makes it cheaper, and we would be able to look at a lot cheaper prices. So, you know, FSC's health insurance could go down. Wasteland's health insurance could go down. Um, if, we, if we do this together as a group, we can do the um, benefits of scale. Okay. But, um, you said 1991, and, you know, say that again, 1991. That's I a know. long time. That's before the oh. Internet. Oh, my yes. God. Um, how did it start? Was it part of the, um, it was, part of the studio system or just, um, you know, started, adult clubs? Um, it started as a legal defense fund. So the ideas of the founders that, that put this together had an idea that they were going to put together a um, kind of a fund that would be an emergency fund, a war chest, so to speak, in case the industry was attacked by, you know, poor government regulations or there was a very conservative... Um, administration that went after the industry, we would be able to fight back. We'd have a, a group of, we'd have some funds to fight back. But what happened with that is a lot of people um, really thought of it as my legal defense fund. So individual companies who get sued by local municipalities or whatever were contacting FSC or the legal defense fund back then in the days of 1991. And they soon realized that if they were to follow up and and get involved in all of these legal issues that their budget would run out in a matter of months. So they really had to, um, they wanted to take a look and change it from Legal Defense Fund because that really wasn't what they were doing anymore to Free Speech Coalition um, so that we would, we would be more of a support mechanism and then you know for something that impacts all of us like 2257 that would be something that that the organization as itself could look at litigating. But individual litigation we don't get involved in. We do support, we can help with uh, attorney referrals, and sometimes we work with the, the First Amendment Lawyers Association to do amicus briefs. But um, for the most part, 
Um, the, little, the smaller litigations, individual litigations, we just provide are, are here on an advisory capacity. So now we've kind of evolved into um, a trade association that does everything from, we do litigation and, as a last resort, and again, we're doing 2257, but we do lobbying efforts nationally, internationally, statewide. Can you, give me, can, can you give me the hit parade of the 1990s to so like 2001 of some of the issues back then? Because a lot of people weren't in adult, you know, in the late 1990s even, yeah. um, and don't know exactly what the issues were. So just give us the hit parade. You, know, you don't need well, to I mean, go into huge detail. But yeah, I mean, the Mies Commission was happening and, and um, happened, and then, you know, a lot of regulation came out of that. One of the things that came out of um, that that force was 2257, which is a uh, record-keeping, a, a, a horrible record-keeping regulation that um, that requires producers to, and, and you know, we don't in the industry have no problem checking people's IDs. We want to make sure that we have people of legal age within our videos, and, and that is the case with, with the adult entertainment industry. But um, this would require um, producers to get the, the ID of the performer, which is fine. They have to fill out a special 2257 document that has the performer's every name that they've ever worked under, every video that they have ever performed in. So it all has to be cross-referenced <coughs> with that. Then these records have to be kept separately from any other record for that video. So you can't put it in with the, the, the performer's model release form, for example, could not go into that. So the, the papers have to be filed separately for this video. And this has to happen for every single video. So if oh, you yeah. use we do it every time we yeah. shoot. And even if you use paper. the same performer, you have to get all of that information yep. again and yep. again and again. Yep. And so the paperwork in this is astronomically ridiculous. Well, let me ask you, ask you an opinion on um, something that I'm facing right now, because, you know, we've been doing 2257 compliance since it's raised its ugly head. Um, the original one and the part two sort of allowed for a provision called a secondary producer. So let's say I'm shooting the content and whatever, I've got to have this stuff, but if I'm leasing it from someone, or if someone's giving it to me to go, go into my members area or whatever, I'm seeing more and more relationships with other companies that I work with. If I have them handle my content for mobile, for instance, or whatever is going on their server, there's this almost a knee-jerk reaction going on <clears throat> that I'm being basically <clears throat> told in no uncertain terms, you need to send me the model's 2257 information to keep locally. Now, that's not only another huge burden because now we've got the file cabinet and we've got the stuff and we've got to get it to go with the movie that somebody else is going to be, you know, putting on their server. But it also strikes me, speaking of free speech coalition, um, an invasion of privacy. And doesn't that risk leaking people's personal information out into the world out of the filing cabinet? As soon as you digitize it and start spreading it around with the girl's picture or the guy's picture, home address, everything on it. And yeah. mo most studios are just doing it, and all of these performers, I, I feel, are being put at risk by this stuff just floating around. Well, and it's a difficult choice because for a lot of um, statewide employment laws, it goes mm -hmm. against the privacy issues with that. So just sharing mm -hmm. somebody's personal information, the federal government's requiring it, yet, you know, giving, you know, me giving, you know, all of my performers' information to you is, you know, is questionable. And so it, it's almost, you know, even for if you're just directly leasing your content to somebody else. I mean, you think about some of the video-on-demand companies. 
um, there's so many many videos it's almost impossible for them to um, to keep the records for that but, and and if you're a if you're a retail store or if you and you or and you have a, a website up and you actually take a picture of the cover and the cover has you know new people on the front um, any kind of 2257 recordable issues on the front then you, I mean, you have to have all of those as a retailer. You have to have all of those that information. So it, for some people, it's almost impossible to get that information. If that, you know, if that company has closed down, it's it's also, you know, it's impossible. And the thing that's really, you know, frustrating about this, this is not one of those violations. So you know, if you screw up, Colin, you're, you know, you have to pay a fine of, you know, a thousand bucks. This is jail time. Mm -hmm. They've associated five years of jail time, and the jail time isn't for having an underage person in your video. You could have a video of all sixty-five-year-old people, and um, and still would be. We've arrested. we've got some of those. <laughs> <laughs> They're all tied you. up. <laughs> I'm almost there, but um, so and still be you know still go to jail for misfiling. Actually, just even misfiling. Yeah. So wait a second. You're so saying that that. Someone could go to jail for five years for a like a secretarial or yes. I, I don't know if that's even the right word for that, but basically misfiling something. Yes. Even and if they how... even if they have the document somewhere, like it's if it's just placed in the wrong location. No, it has to be placed in the right place, wow. and you have to be there in your business. You have to be there. You have to have twenty hours posted Monday through Friday, nine to five. When you're going to be there, that the FBI can come in without any kind of advance notice and check your records. So, and that has to be posted on the outside of your building, right? So, for the custodian of records. So, so you know, and for a lot of people, I mean, in our industry, our industry is made up of a number of small businesses. So, we're not talking, you know, 200 employee businesses. We're talking mom and pop shops who have different jobs during the day. Maybe do adult content at night or on the weekends, you have the FBI, you know, if the custodian of records is their home, they, they're going to have to be there or have somebody there during that time. And they're going to have to allow, you know, the FBI has, you know, rights to come in to their home without any kind of an announcement. You know, we're here to inspect your records. They walk right through the front door to get to the records, wherever those might be. That does seem and like a huge other, invasion of privacy. The, and the other thing which I noticed from a, a producer standpoint, um, that's actually purchasing or leasing or what, whatever arrangement that I'm getting content from outside the United States is that to bring in um, content that was produced in Canada or England or Germany or God forbid Japan I mean a lot of those countries it is a federal crime in those countries to disseminate that information to anybody it's yep. completely forbidden so you're you're landlocked I mean it, it used to be the secondary uh, being the secondary producer, you could just refer yeah. the person to where they could go inspect it in Belgium or wherever it yeah. is. But now that seems to be swinging back towards all the records need to follow all the content, no matter if it's a little sex toy shop um, or if it's a website. So, yeah, uh, what, I, I kind of want to go, go towards political motivation on this, though. Um, you know, because it, I mean, the, the early seeds of it was, was the Mies, the entire Mies era, uh, which kind of Kind of went away for a while during the Clinton administration. You what's know, people the Mies, were pretty. What's the Mies era? 
Oh, that's a long story. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what was his name? Edwin? Um, what was his first name? Uh, is it Edwin? I think it may have been Edwin Meese. Edwin, yeah. Edwin Meese. Was this Nixon administration period, I think? Yeah, they went on a campaign against pornography. And oh, they okay. that's just where all of the, you've heard of the, um, um, what is the standard for obscenity? I, I should know it by heart. Um, the Miller standard. Yeah. That, where that's, it's, uh, okay, so it's basically a porn crusade. So, so it was a porn crusade, which luckily we all got a very nice break and the economy was great and Bill Clinton we still love you to this day but then along <laughs> came George and he Bush loves us. <laughs> and George came along with a little guy called Gonzalez um, and Ashcroft those two attorney generals within the Bush administration which is when 2257 really exploded uh, do you feel it's a legitimate um, legislature to protect underage actors or just an ongoing way to um, punish porn and just make it as think, difficult as possible to exist. I think um, I think it was clearly, there's no question, whenever, you know, it's, it's politically motivated, whenever, and we're just the easiest industry, so, you know, it's very popular for Democrats and Republicans alike to beat up our industry. And this has been, um, you know, this definitely was a campaign waged against, against the industry. Um, when Clinton got into office, he, um, Janet Reno actually saw obscenity and, um, and did not put a lot of pressure towards 2257 because they understood that, um, their, you know, adult entertainment, the, the true adult entertainment industry had nothing to do with child pornography, which is true. And so the focus was really, I mean, not on the adult industry, but actually on the, on the, you know, Predators of children, which is not our industry, so they actually put their focus where they where it belongs. Um, and during the when the Bush administration came on, um, there was a lot more pressure put back to go back to 2257 and really focus on that. And when that happened, um, the, there was a whole FBI force put together to do that to to start going after 2257 records. And I think there were 20 some companies that were. Um, that were raided, or not, I don't know if raided, were inspected. <laughs> it felt like raids, but it was inspections. And they, they actually never had any prosecutions on this. The FBI itself really thought it was a waste of their time. They understood that, you know, what they were finding was literally misfilings. It wasn't, there weren't underage people in our, in our videos. They never came across anybody who was underage as a result of any negative, you know, misfilings of paper or not proper record keeping. Um, but it really did um, scare the industry quite a bit. I mean, having FBI agents walk into your company is, is an intimidating process, and it can be expensive. But So, um, so do, you, do you feel that it's um, being ramped up again because we're coming into an election period? Where, you know, the old phrase, the first thing we do is round up all the you know, all the hookers and pornographers. You know, is this what this is? Are we another one of those cycles because of the election in the U.S.? Or um, I, don't, I, I don't think that, I, I don't think it's being ramped up right now uh, for 2257. I think 2257 is getting attention because we won our court appeal, which mm -hmm. is, uh, so we, you know, we're suing the federal government and for, um, for overreach and for overbreadth. Now, now thinking about this, the, the government is making us prove that we don't have child pornography in the industry. And really, it's up to the government to prove that there is, right? And so mm -hmm. this is one of the big issues of our, of our lawsuit is the fact that it places the burden in proving um, 
you know, our innocence. So it's, you know, guilty until proven innocent here instead of innocent yeah. until mm -hmm. proven guilty, mm -hmm. which is what it's supposed to be. Right. So well, the whole me, law is premised on that. It always well, seems, me, sorry, sorry to cut you off, but this is like I have a bone to pick with the U.S. federal government on, on a lot of, in a, in a lot well, of you're issues. Can, well, you're Canadian. But, you're Canadian, Canadian. but there was one thing when I was actually, and what you were just talking about made me remember something. I was watching uh, the hearings or whatever it was that was the House of Representatives when they were live streaming talking about the .XXX top-level domain. And they were. Did anyone else watch? Did either of you watch those, oh, yeah. those, those that live stream? I didn't see that. Um, anyway, they were they're going around and they were talking about. And there was one poor guy that was trying to explain like what IPs are, and everyone else was just like, "Well, I'm not a nerd. I don't know what any of this means," you know. And we're all sitting back like, "Well, if you don't know what any of it means, how are you even talking about it, right?" But one thing that really struck out to me was was one representative. I, I don't remember who she was, but she said that um, as long as their tax dollars aren't being spent. To protect, because they all assumed that this was to, it was basically to stop piracy, right? Or no, wait, I'm not, I'm sorry, this isn't dot triple X, this you're, is you're SOPA. Talking about SOPA. I'm talking about SOPA. Okay. I totally got my wires crossed. Anyway. And you're, talk, you're talking about the senator from my fine state of New Hampshire that stuck her foot was in that, her mouth. Like, okay, oh, she yeah, was the one Kelly, that said, Kelly, yeah, she said basically, as long as our tax dollars aren't being spent on uh, protecting pornography, SOPA will not affect pornography, is what she wanted, right? Because they didn't want pornography to be protected under. Uh, their, their, their new laws. So it always seems to me like we're the exception, right? The adult industry, despite yeah. being you know, a, a legitimate business, is always the exception. I mean, we pay taxes, we contribute so to society. So as long as our tax dollars are not being used to protect controversial speech. Right, And that's exactly. it. I mean, and when you look at free speech, it's going to be controversy. I mean, the fact that she would say that out loud to me is controversial. Right. right. So yeah. let's cut yeah. her out, right? Yeah. Well, let me, let me she say... has a right to say that. But, yeah, um, Absolutely. But, but it, it should still be of that country, same. It's still yeah, in our free country. This should be pre our speech is protected, and you know some people may a lot of people love what we do and love the speech that we provide. There are people who hate it. You know what? They don't have to watch it. Right. And so uh, that's the deal. That's what's great about our country is we you know theoretically, if you are following the Constitution, then you know it's up to it's up to each and every individual as to what they read and what they watch. Unfortunately, um, there are a lot of people out there that want to tell you what you can read, what you can write, what you can produce, and what you can watch. So and what you can listen to. So I wanted to segue from that from something that Simon just stumbled on in our timeline as we've gotten to around 2001 at this point. Um, the whole ICANN, um, STLD, and GTLD, this has been something to which Free Speech Coalition has been involved in you know, since the very beginning of it. Um, when ICM Registry proposed the, estimate, the sponsored top-level domain, and it was a very long fight, and I don't want to give them any more airtime than possible because I think this <laughs> ship sailed and sunk. Um, <laughs> it sunk. But I mean, the, but what I'm seeing now is this whole new GTLD. It can be dot Diane Duke. It can be dot Colin. It can be, but more importantly, dot sex and dot what's the other one? Dot porn. Dot, dot, dot porn. Dot sex. Yep. I think dot adult. Um, and yes, and dot adult. Now, I'm seeing a lot of trumpeting by ICM Registry and Stuart Lawley saying, well, we've got it all packaged up already to bring it into our ghetto, oh, I meant a resort of dot triple X. Do you think that there's some kind of, I mean, if I know. If you buy it I, now, I, Colin, I understand that you'll get the Ginsu knife set as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I know that I know that before uh, I know that before Dengue Thrush I think was his name when he was the the head of ICANN, I mean they were so obviously in a smoke filled back room on this entire thing, 
Um, he's now in a job that is benefiting greatly from the passing of the GTL days. I mean, so he's I, so, making a freaking fortune on this, and it's it's so painfully obvious. I mean, you spent you spent a day with us, a couple of days with us at ICANN, and you understand mm -hmm. the incestuous nature of this company. So I it's think, really so I, interesting. Yeah, it's, but the, I think the, I think the current looming issue is this GTLD thing with these new top-level domains that. Do you think that since Thrush has left, and I know that there was some shakeup at ICANN about ethics and the way the entire .XXX thing went down, do you think they're going to be a little more careful or possibly ethical this time, or are we still I dealing have, with the devil? It's, we're, you know, it's interesting. You know, the thing that's, that's happening this time is it's not just the adult companies that are involved here. I mean, it's not just adult. It's everybody. So all industries are facing what's going to happen with these GTLDs. And we found, um, you know, the, the word extortion was, was thrown out a lot by you and I as well <laughs> around this .XXX sponsored top-level domain. And um, I'm just going to briefly, Colin, go over um, what that means for your listeners because it's you and yeah. I can start talking about this, but it gets really confusing. So I'm going to try to keep this. And I, can, I have got a binder that's like this big with all letters and things from from ICANN around this issue. It's just been one yeah, that and, I've been working on and, since and, the beginning of time. And it's, it's and is the other target cute. group of uh, Dirty Little Men TV is also consumers, not just adult professionals. Yeah. Maybe tell them uh, what, it because what it means and why it's just bad. Um, so a sponsored a, consumer. Level. So a sponsored top-level domain means it has the support of the sponsorship community. And the sponsorship community means, you know, it, so like .travel had the support of the travel agents and the travel industry. And so, you know, that was, that was their top-level domain, sponsored top-level domain. With a sponsored top-level domain comes an oversight um, committee that develops best practices and rules for that organization. Well... An oversight committee for adult is very different than an oversight committee for maybe travel or something because there's the, the propensity for, for censorship. If you don't know what the rules are, the people in the adult um, who, who were to, if you bought a .XXX top-level domain or domain name, you had to agree to third party coming in and sweeping your site for whatever rules that they set up you had to comply with. However, you, were, you had to buy the site before they set up the rules, and the rules can change at any time. So for our industry, those kinds of rules are something that, are, that always give us a big red flag. Now the other thing about the .XXX sponsored top-level domain, it's supposed to just be adult content. So let's say, let's use Wasteland, for example. <laughs> you had such a wonderful experience with oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, if, if, you know, Colin owns Wasteland.com, I bought Wasteland.XXX, um, you know, one would argue that Colin should have that name, but you know, they were selling those names, and so it, they said, "Hey, Colin, if you don't buy it, we're going to sell it to somebody else." Yeah, even so when I have a twelve-year-old trademark on it. And this is where the extortion part comes in. They were willing to sell it. Trademark is not my issue; it's your issue. You can go ahead and go through the dispute complaint, which you know costs money, takes time, um, or you can pay the three hundred dollars right now and block it. And so they had a whole bunch of ways to do that. So Disney, for example, they also did that with Disney's companies. You can buy, you know, they had Disney sell, they sold, you know, block, you can block your name, Disney. So if you, if you block it now, no, none of those evil pornography furs are going to, you know, do strange things with Minnie Mouse. 
and, and you, you know, know and, and, and the fear mongering that. that came along with that. And the fear mongering, I, uh, Simon. I'm going to send you a link to the clip that you can roll in on this. Um, ICM registry is part of their outreach to the mainstream non-adult business community to protect your stuff before the evil pornographers steal your stuff. Did the most? It's been described as the most racist advertisement ever produced in Western civilization. It basically, the, the black gang guys go yo 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 and intimidating the guy that comes up to them in the streets. I mean, and they're like a gang. We're not a oh, gang. We're an association. We even got a we got a Keo and a retirement plan. Yo yo yo. And I mean, they, they look like they're going to beat this guy up. It's the most racist thing I've ever seen to try to scare people. This was an to buy. This was Did you see the one with the mannequins? Oh, wow. Did you see it's, the mannequin one? Yes, I did. I oh, did. that's the most sexist one I've ever seen. And, and then there was the one about um, the goat fuckers. They actually called <laughs> the, the adult um, traditional old school stuff like us a bunch of goat fuckers that's going to take the name of your deli on Main Street and make it into a porn site unless so, you get your mom's deli.xxx. So what you're saying is on one hand, they're like, hey, adult industry, we're here to, to make this cool .xxx thing to benefit your business in all of these wonderful ways that we haven't really told you yet and haven't really been really clear about. And on the other side, they're advertising blatantly to the other people saying, hey, these evil, dirty, goat-fucking... <laughs> <laughs> Pornographers are going to steal all of your Disney characters. And... I haven't seen a goat movie in a very long time. How about you, Colin? I haven't seen a goat movie ever, I don't think. I, I haven't been to New Zealand in a the... while. so. And this is what was so frustrating about this, and this is what just enraged me, is the fact that they took the myths and misconceptions about our industry and they used that to propel their issue. Right. There was one ICANN meeting, and you know, I am not a person who hides my looks of disgust and irritation well. So I'm sure as, you know, one woman got up and started talking about the abuse she suffered as a child. And, you know, when they were talking about Dot Triple X and why they needed to have Dot Triple X, well, it had nothing to do with adult entertainment industry. She was abused as a child. That's always tragic, granted. I will say that. But I'm sure I was sitting in the audience going, what does this have to do with us? Yeah. <laughs> Lady, yeah. They're, know, they're playing on, on emotional knee-jerk reactions to and those are the kinds their... of those, those are the issues. I mean, he... Stuart Lawley and Triple X and ICM constantly were saying is, we will be the responsible adult entertainment industry. You know that you're going to be able to, you know, it'll be okay if you go on to this. I mean, my partner was, you know, we were always watching all the new people that came on to Triple X to see who was on and what was going on. And she ran across child pornography on Triple X. So this is one of those issues that they were supposed to say, you know, oh, no, no, this never happens on Triple X because they've got all these scanners and they've got all these, you know, and there it was. And so, you know, I reported it to ASACP and to the Department of Justice. But, um, and I'm sure that they didn't know that it was on there. But the thing that, that really was so infuriating to me was the fact that they're acting like this is like the, the pure side of the industry or the ethical side of the industry when, when from my viewpoint, everything and all of the, the dealings have been about as unethical as possible. We have a good group of people in our industry. And this is some of the, these are some of the best people I've ever met. I really enjoy representing this industry because I feel very proud of the people I work for. Um, and so for them to perpetuate this myth of, you know, these child raping, um, murderous 
drug addicted pornographers or you creeping into your home and going after your children really irritated me. Yeah. And so, um, so that's, and, and you know, that, that we're going to provide spam and we're going to be doing, and you know, we do this on a regular basis. And you know, from everything that I've seen, one, I don't believe that .XXX is, it, it's not anywhere near the success that they wanted it to be. In fact, I would say it's an abject failure. If you want to take a look at where it stands um, in relation to other top-level domains, go on to registrarstats.com, and that'll show you where it is. It's below, you know, .pro, .asia. The wow. traffic it gets is really is is abysmal, from what I understand. And if you go even onto some of the .XXX um, sites, a good example: Corbin Fisher spent half a million dollars, supposedly spent half a million dollars for their website. I would suspect a lot of that was kind of a rev share on paper thing. Um, their site. Isn't even live. I mean, it's said if you go to 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 that site, it's to be you know it's coming soon, and it's been forever. I mean, they've had an opportunity, and if you really did spend half a million dollars on a site, I would suspect you'd have it up right away. Which is one so of the interesting things, as far as when being basically forced um, as a trademark holder, at least, um, to either buy it or deal with the consequences and go sue someone. One of the clauses if buying it was you had to have it live um, unless you went through this whole um, rainbow period or what the hell is sunrise sunrise, sunrise period, period yeah. where you could you could actually block it but anybody else that bought one not just trademark holders you it says right in the thing if you buy a something dot triple x it needs to be a live site with value content on it and be monitored by i4 the international i forget about it whatever foundation they are. for online responsibility, <laughs> responsibility. but I mean, I don't, I don't see any live sites out there. So right off the it, bat, it, it's like, what the hell just happened? Yeah, and so you're, and the thing that's really interesting here is that the, if you want to make it live, and you, so you just hook it back to your .com site, your .com site has, you have to agree to have that monitored. Exactly. Wait, 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 wait. Can you repeat that really quickly again? Because that it, is actually, like, th there's two things that actually scare me about that, right? Um, yeah, it, you said that basically if, if you buy .XXX, you have to connect it to your .com version of it. Right, you have to like list it. You don't have to. Oh, you don't have but to. But if you do, but if you, you do. do, that gets monitored by um, by the third party. Um, I, for, I forget about it. <laughs> okay, yeah. and and why that also scares me, or something that that just brought up, was I remember reading about it. I don't remember how far it went, or or even if it if it has followed through. But there was a couple of countries. I, I seem to remember Australia being one of them, uh, coming out and saying that they'll take whatever you know whatever dot triple X find the .com or .org or .net equivalent of that or on every other top-level domain equivalent of that and then block that at the ISP level as well because they were going to block .XXX off the bat, right? Yeah. Did you yeah. hear anything about that or any follow-up? A number of countries have have talked about blocking .XXX. And so and, and the, when we went to ICANN and, and Colin can attest to this, the Government Advisory Council really wanted to shy away from these kinds of controversial names. The thing... In truth, the thing for our industry, if we are treated like everybody else, we're in the best shape possible. When you start segmenting us out, segregating us out, putting us into a red light district, that's where it gets dangerous. That's where we can, we can just have targets right on our back. And when I went to my very first um, ICANN meeting, it was right after I started with FSC, um, I went to Lisbon, and um, in my very first meeting, I carried with me a bill from Max Backus that would have um, mandated .XXX for adult companies. So that was one of the areas of grave concern for us. And you know, everybody's like, oh, that's unconstitutional. They won't do that. 
we believe that 2257 is unconstitutional. We've been fighting that yeah. in court There's for you know, years and years. There's lots of shit that is constitutional Constitutional anymore. doesn't I mean, matter. Since, Somebody has to pay for that lawsuit. It, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but since 9-11, there has been... It just seems like there is a ton of stuff that has gone through that is completely unconstitutional. Uh, not I, only in the adult industry, but it seems like even us, we're... we're we're almost like a byproduct of, of the ability to be able to do this, and they're, and they're using it at, at every opportunity. Does well, it seem the, like there's in, a ramping up of in, that? In the book, of, um, in the book, the Chinese book, The Art of War, um, there's a wonderful little piece of advice that pertains exactly to what you just said. Uh, the quote is, when there's blood in the streets, buy real estate. Right. Because everybody's looking at the blood in the streets, right. and you can just go in and carpet bag yeah. and do whatever. They're the doing hell that you in, want. in Quebec big time right now. There's there's some huge student protests right now, and it's getting global coverage because there's 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 riots and and protests in the street just about every day here in Montreal. I mean, it's getting really intense. There's YouTube videos on on the front page of Reddit just about every day. Uh, police beatings and, and and mace in the face constantly, and it's it's funny because uh, our premier of of the. Um, of the province is basically just silent. He's not saying anything about this, right? And that's why it's getting so much coverage because the protests are continuing, continuing. And meanwhile, what the media is not covering, they're covering a couple of broken windows every night, right? But what's yeah. actually going on is there's a huge investigation onto, into, um, I think it's construction company um, corruption in regards to the government, right? So there's this huge trial going on where basically our government is on trial and yet the media has like is saying nothing about it. So anyway, it's just to harp on this point of like distraction. It's like an illusionist, you know. Look over here while I steal your watch, kind of thing, yep. you know. It's... So I, I don't want to give um, ICM Registry or Dot Triple X any more airtime than what we already did. Um, we're going to go to a short commercial break. Maybe we'll show you a little snippet of that racist ad that they just blind <laughs> clueless. I've already played it no in, my, in my live production. I've totally already watched it. But we can watch it again <laughs> with sound this time. We'll play a clip of it. All right. Okay, so we'll be back in just a few minutes. Great. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to DirtyOldMen.TV. This is take number three of trying to come back from break. I'm just going to run it over to you, Colin. <laughs> oh, well, I'm the one that had to take the break because I'm a dirty old man with an emphasis on old, <laughs> which means that there's certain things need to happen in a timely and TMI. regular <clears throat> Too much information. Um, before we move on to the next topic, though, I wanted to give you a personal observation on the whole um, ICANN and ICM and .XXX, um, what happened from my perspective. Um, and if you don't know what ICANN is, they're the, they're the gods of the Internet. These, it, you can research it. It's very it's interesting. The United States um, Commerce Department, I believe, you know, licensed this group to control all the dot everythings. Um, they're a nonprofit group. <clears throat> uh, yeah, right. Um, until you retire. But <clears throat> there was this one <clears throat> one critical final vote um, on whether <clears throat> I um, I can was going to allow dot triple X. So <clears throat> Diane and assembled a group of people. Um, that were like-minded with us. Uh, we had Allison Vivas there. We had um, John Stagliano was there. We all went to San Francisco. There was a group of probably 18 of us that were all scheduled and given time to stand up and testify in front of the entire board of directors of ICANN in a general plenary session with all of the GAC members there. The, um, there were probably 400 people in the room. And we're all sitting there in our Sunday best, ready to say our little thing about why we just don't support this .XXX thing. And the day went on and on and on and on. And right near the end of the day, when we were supposed to have our time, 
to get up and say our little speeches, we were advised that, no, uh, we don't have time for you. We're just going to take a vote. Now, 18 people had flown in from three different countries, all dressed up with ties and dresses and briefcases and perfectly prepped with really, really good testimony. Yeah, I I, I don't do bad. Um, I I, I thought I was going to watch Diane's head explode when they passed that note to her that, no, your, your testimony is not needed. We were just going to take a vote through some, I don't know what you said to them, but <laughs> uh, they begrudgingly I gave us, my, they begrudgingly gave us our, yeah, what did you do? I went to their legal counsel and I said, you know, your, your policy is to allow people to speak in the public comment period on what is on the agenda. I have people I have flown in here. You are going to let these people speak. And so he ran up to Peter Dingate's rush and, Gave him a little note, and lo and behold, because he knew that we would sue the hell out of him, yeah. and not, and we would be. We had already protested outside that building that day. Oh yeah, maybe we can find a little footage of that to throw in here too. Oh my god! <laughs> um, but um, the sort of unhappy ending of that story after we all got up and did our thing, um, and we're watching Diane. Oh, there I'm back. Um, the sort of unhappy ending to that story is after Diane, she who must be obeyed, got us all. <laughs> up there in line and we went up and said our thing. Um, I can said, okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. And that quick break was about five minutes and they came back and passed. Boom. They didn't even listen to a word we said. So to me, yeah. it was obvious it was a done deal before we even got up there. And we had held it off though. I mean, in Lisbon back in 2007, when I was at that meeting, Stuart Lawley fully expected that to be passed. And, Stu- and Jeffrey Douglas, who's the chair of our board, and I went to that. And we, I had t- gotten pictures off of um, the Internet of who all the board members were. And so we sat outside of all the committees, and we grabbed them. And I had a one-pager document on why the industry does not support this. And so we handed that to everybody that I could find. We also had it slipped. I, I bribed the concierge to slip it under everybody's <laughs> door. And so because of that, um, we were given time to speak at the at the not only just at the public comment period but at the board meeting, mm-hmm. and it was broadcast worldwide, which is amazing. And um, we won. All right. And so what changed? Stewart, what changed this time then? And if, um, if we had, it was a new executive director and a new um, um, board chair, and the board chair very interesting. And, and you'd always see the board chair often secret pockets with the attorneys from ICM. So you knew. I mean, you knew that all kinds of deals were being made and um, outside of the, the committees. And so um, the person who we worked with, you know, who was the chair of the board before was Vint Cerf, and he was the head of Google at the time. What an incredible man. He was very fair. He listened to people. And if you look at the history of, of ICM and it was it had been turned down numerous times. And it wasn't until Peter Dingate Thrush came up and there were two things, and Colin referred to those earlier, there was the GTLD, which is just a general top-level domain, and this .XXX STLD were the two issues. So I think, you know, they used, I think they used .XXX as kind of a test case to see how can we get this, push this stuff through, even if the GAC doesn't approve or even if everybody's not on board. The, so they the did that with .XXX. Quickly, and they've done that with GTLDs. Can you just quickly explain what the what the GAC is, the GAC, for those that might not be aware? It's the Government Advisory Council. So it's 150 um, governments coming together to advise 
ICANN, which is, as Colin said, it was, uh, it's a nonprofit organization that contracts with the U.S. government in order to be able to put domain names into the, into the, into the registry, into the world. And so, um, so your domain name, whoever has it, whatever website you have, your domain name is made possible through ICANN, through, right. through the work that ICANN does. And so it's supposed to be just a technical um, entity or really just works on the technical issues, but now it has delved into content with .XXX and with some of these issues it delved into content. So, so, well, so, before, we, um, before, we, before we move off onto the next topic, I just want to give sort of an end note of that same observation I had in San Francisco. Um, there were a lot of different little half an hour discussions about the you know housekeeping business for ICANN and this and that. There was a 45 minute protracted angsting about ICANN did not have enough money to offer dental insurance or decent health insurance <laughs> or benefits to their clerical workers. And then we find out that, oh, um, ICM Registry doesn't have to pay ICANN $1 per dot triple X that's sold. It has to pay them two. There seemed to be a really close correlation there between Peter Dengue Thresh is going to retire, which he did, and made billions of dollars off of somehow or other domaining. Moving, passing the GTLDs and moving to an entity that will profit yep. from that. Yeah. And so that's and, what he's doing. And then all of the ICANN employees probably now have nice, you know, dental insurance. So the end ICANN of story. employees, in all honesty, the employees there, I got to say, they're hardworking people and they get. Oh, they are, but it, but it looked like a. But it's the board like a, that was. It kind of looked like a big old bake sale, though, to raise some money. And their CEO, Rod Beckstrom, at the time, I think they're getting a new one. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So, anyway, before we belabor this 10-year-old topic okay. further, um, speaking of um, people um, and entities that are not in the adult entertainment industry, like we were just talking about, coming in with nefarious motive, profit motive, don't really give a shit as far as us, um, Let's talk about Weinstein. And AHF and mandatory condoms and the whole AIM takedown. And you want to just kind of put Diane sure. up on big screen and give us a narrative of what's happened and what we've uh, currently got going? This has been going on for for many, many years. He is, um, Weinstein and AIDS Healthcare Foundation has targeted the adult entertainment industry. Um, as far as um, trying to mandate condoms in the industry. We have currently have in place and have had in place for years um, great protocols and practices around testing. So our performers test every 28 days for chlamydia, gonorrhea, and HIV with now PCR RNA, which is the most current and um, state-of-the-art test out there. So that has a window of 9 to 11 days. So we, and we haven't had a case of HIV transmitted within the industry since 2004. So 2004, think about that, folks. And we haven't had a case of HIV transmitted within the industry since 2004. And that's all, now, bare, that's all bareback production using proper testing protocol and everybody working within the existing testing Within, within his existing protocols. Now, we've had two performers that have tested positive since 2004. Um, but both, all indications are that both uh, folks have, both people contracted that outside the industry. So, in, in L.A. County alone, since 2008, there have been 6,500 new cases of HIV. And again, none of those have happened on set. But Weinstein has gone through the legislature, tried to mandate condoms there. That didn't work. 
went to the county, sued the county, saying that it is your duty for public health reasons to mandate condoms and make sure that the adult entertainment industry is using condoms. And the, the county said, no, that's not within our purview. We believe that that's unconstitutional. Um, and so they won the lawsuit. And, the, and they also said, it is not a public health issue. This is not a problem. So, and that's what they said in their lawsuit. AHF appealed. They won the appeal. AHF hammered, went after, and hammered, and hammered, and hammered AIM. They were protesting them. They called um, Cal OSHA on them, had uh, all kinds of inspections. Cal OSHA shows up at AIM demanding patient records. Patient privacy issues, no, 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 you're not supposed to, you know, I used to work for Planned Parenthood before I worked for Free, for free Speech Coalition, so I know about patient records. The government doesn't have a right to patient records. And for them to show up and say, you know, we want your, we want your patient records was, was absolutely absurd. But each time these things happened, AIM had to get legal counsel to um, work on these cases, right? So, and that costs a lot of money. So for, um, when patient Zeta, which is one of the performers I just spoke of earlier, contracted HIV, again, outside, the patient Zeta even admitted that, contracting that outside the industry. Um, when that happened, um, that's when AHF really started pushing Kalosh to do a whole bunch of stuff around that. Kalosh showed up at people's doors saying that, demanding their 2257 records, records, which is illegal, saying that the federal government had given them permission to do so, which was a lie. So we had a lot of attorneys going, um, no, we're not going to give you those records, and you don't have a right to those records. And so when the ACLU actually took up the case for AIM around the patient privacy and patient records, they won, and, and just two months ago they won all, won all of their um, legal fees paid by Cal OSHA. So that was, that was a great win. And, and, you know, our state of California is just in $16 billion debt, as far as our budget's concerned. So Cal OSHA has just been stripped about as, as thin as possible, and yet they seem to keep, keep pushing this. Because AHF calls Cal OSHA and makes complaints. Anybody can call and make a complaint on any, other, on any business, a Cal OSHA complaint. Doesn't have to be an employee. So, <clears throat> so Mike Weinstein and AHF sat there and started making calls to Cal OSHA to try to bring this issue up. So they weren't able to be successful at the legislature. They weren't able to win the case at the county. Um, they brought it to the city and asked the city to pass an ordinance mandating it. The city council said no. So they started collecting signatures. Now I say they started collecting signatures. Let me just clarify that. They paid signature gatherers to collect <clears throat> signatures. In my little Walmart next to my house, when I knew that they were collecting signatures, I ran over there to see what they were going to say. And the woman comes up to me and says, do you want to prevent college students from getting HIV? Oh my God. That's what it was. I have it on tape of them lying about this. I had other people calling me and saying that what they said to me was, do you think that the adult entertainment industry should pay for permits just like everybody else? <laughs> Which we do. We pay more than anything, more than anybody on most of our stuff. And so, um, so you know, the information that was going out about this bill, about this ordinance was wrong. But we figured that they paid, you know, I asked all of the um, campaign people, what do you pay for signature gatherers? They said four to eight dollars. No, four to ten dollars. Now, I was using a conservative estimate. I understand that from what I was told, they were using the Cadillac of signature gatherers. I just said five dollars each. I mean, I was being conservative. So to get it on the city ordinance, it cost AIDS Healthcare Foundation 
$350,000. And that's a conservative estimate. It could have easily cost twice that much. So they got it on the city ordinance. The city attorney sued AHF because he knew it was unconstitutional and it wasn't their jurisdiction. So he wanted to take it off the ballot because it would have had to have been a special election. It would have cost the city $4.4 million to do, to do this election. So instead of doing that, the city council, some of the people who have been, um, had donations from AHF, pushed, were, were very upset with the city attorney for doing this. And in a backroom deal, they passed it um, and didn't even put it on the ballot. So they passed it in a closed session um, in January of this year, passed the uh, city ordinance. So now, this is a city ordinance that ties permits with mandating condoms. Now, the Film LA, which is the entity that grants um, all of the permits, say that there's about 40 permits per month that contain nudity. So that's also Hollywood permits. So very few of those permits are adult permits. So it really doesn't impact us that much. But the problem with this bill and the problem with, with this ordinance and the fact that it passed, it's, it's government intruding into how we create films. It's government, it's government compelling us to create a product for which there is little to no demand because the truth is people don't want to watch films with condoms on it. It's what, the government I, intruding. I, just, I mean, sure. what is the, the motivation behind uh, <laughs> Weinstein or Weinstein um, wanting to do this? I mean, there's got to be a reason. Is it, is it monetary profit or I've somehow? been asked that. I've been interviewed by people all over the world about this issue, and that is the one consistent question that people ask me. And I finally have just come to the conclusion, AHF is in the AIDS and HIV business. They are completely focused on making money off of people who have HIV. This is what they do. And um, understand that they have about a $200 million budget a year. $200 million budget a year. This nonprofit. Um, many of those dollars that go into there are government contracts. And, um, you know, it's interesting because you, they have now also gathered signatures to get this on the ballot for the county. And I figure it's going to cost, it's, it cost them at least two to three million dollars to get that on, just on the ballot. So we're talking millions of dollars that they're putting towards this. Let me show you this. I got this on our break. See this report? See how thick it is? This is the 152 page report. And it is a report created by the county in two th and, and disseminated in 2010 about how the county should spend its HIV resources. And, the, and the, the report was also for nonprofits in the L.A. area, L.A. county area, telling them on how they should spend their resources and where the dangers are. It was the Latino community, African-American community, people who are underserved, people who are underinsured, people who are uninsured, and people in poverty. Those are the main ones. One of the issues that they that they spoke about in that um, in that report was in the profile was that was that there are many people walking around who are not tested, who do not know what their HIV status are, who are HIV positive. Our performers are tested every twenty eight days. So and, and that's to jump on AIM, right? That, that's well, to jump let, into the AIM topic a little bit because I don't think most people know, again, for our consumer crowd out there, like most people don't know what AIM healthcare was because it doesn't really exist anymore, if I'm not mistaken, right? Well, before we go there, though, oh. I just want to just follow up on one thing from the 
performer and director and crew standpoint, um, you know, I'm on the East Coast, but I've got a lot of contact with people who are, you know, in the production end of things in the city of L.A., where it is now a law to you have to pull a permit, you have to be wearing condoms, you have to be doing all of these things. What I'm hearing from the street and from the people who are shooting is it's almost like, and this is a quote from somebody who's been around many, many years, all the way back in the 70s. It's like a blast from the past. Everybody meets at a Walmart parking lot, probably across the street from Diane, gets into three or four different vehicles that all take separate routes to an undisclosed location where they're going to shoot some scenes. As soon as all the performers and the crew get in the car, their cell phones are taken away from them. The GPS is shut off. So if they've got find a friend or whatever, nobody can see where they are. They go in. They shoot, they get the hell out. It's it's very, very much like Boogie Nights era. Again, it's now been thrown into this drive around in cars to get to a location that only one person knows about, shoot like hell and get out. And one of the performers, um, she said, there's just a, it's not fun. It's not conducive to shooting scenes because people are peeking out the window anytime they hear a car go by. Everybody's well, just terrified. It's tense, yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not comfortable in that situation when you're, when you're always expecting to be caught, you know? I can't imagine trying well, to get a hard-on in that situation. That's got to be <laughs> fucking hard. We've got skilled people. They're <laughs> um, The thing, you know, I, I don't know that that is as commonplace now. I mean, we still studios and, and sound stages, they can, they can perform Know, without having to worry about the permit. And, and in all honesty, the implementation of this has not been set yet, so there's no way for them to um, enforce it. So it hasn't been enforced yet. Just um, as of Friday, I, actually Wednesday, I went to a city council meeting and where they asked for a 90-day extension, the city administrator. I, I met with the city administrator, and, and, my, you know, and he was frustrated because he doesn't see a way to do this, have it be constitutional, there is not, you know, they checked with the police department. They said, we don't have a structure for this. They checked with the fire department. We don't have a structure for this. They checked with Film LA. No, 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 we don't, you know, we, there's no way that we could do this. They can't figure out how to implement this. It's going to cost an absolute fortune to implement this. It's going to cost taxpayer dollars to implement this. Nobody has any money. Nobody has any desire to implement this. They all re realize how ridiculous it is, and they understand that they pass this just to keep the city from spending $4.4 million dollars on an election. That is so important for people to understand that the City Council of LA passed a law into an ordinance into law because they didn't want to spend four point four million dollars to let the voters decide. Wow. So That's I mean a, it, it sounds like another Yeah. It, it's it sounds like another instance of um, the lawmakers not knowing the de facto reality on the ground, right? You see this all the time. I mean, it, throughout history where someone thinks they know what's going you know, someone that can make decisions thinks they know what's going on, but in reality, the system that's in place, it makes a lot more sense. And that's where AIM comes in. You had a system that worked. Like you said, performers were being tested constantly, as opposed to your average person who has actually no idea because they never got tested. You know, so there's actually a lot of undiagnosed cases out there, whereas performers every 28 days. And this worked, right? Since 2004, I think you said. Yeah. Right? There wasn't a well, single... Well, no, they, AIM, was, AIM was available even before that. But um, 2004, really, we changed some of the protocols to make sure that, that some of the um, safety precautions are in place on, uh, that weren't in place then. So, I mean, and our system can, you know, like we just switched over to PCR RNA tests. So our, as, as technology moves forward, 
our system and our protocols and our practices move forward. So we get the best information, the best technology out there and implement that into our system. So, and it will continue to change and to grow. You know, as our program, and I'll talk a little bit more about that um, later, but as our program starts to grow, we want to add some more educational components in for performers, you know, and, and just a number of things where we can use this program to really keep supporting the people who work within the industry. But um, to get back to um, AIM, when I left Planned Parenthood and came to Free Speech Coalition, again, I had opened a couple clinics in Oregon for Planned Parenthood, so I understand, I understand clearly what it takes to have a successful uh, sexual health clinic. And when I looked at um, what was happening at AIM, I was so impressed because I remembered what made Planned Parenthood so, so successful was the fact that when, when the teenagers would come in, they would, people would talk to them with respect and treat them with respect, and it was a safe place for them to come. When I walked into AIM, I realized that our performers were getting that same thing. Um, they were getting the respect they needed and, they, and that they deserved, and they were getting treatment in a place that they felt was safe. So AIM was started by a, a, a performer, um, a woman who was a past performer, Sharon Mitchell, and she did that, and, and she worked in conjunction with Free Speech Coalition to get um, AIM going, and it was really successful. The performers appreciated it. They, you know, it was for performers, by performers, and it was a it was a wonderful facility. But it just, again, it just got beaten down and beaten down and beaten down in protests and lawsuits. And AIDS Healthcare Foundation just what did do you mean not. by by protests? Who's who is protesting them? The same people that at were gathering point, signatures, probably. This one, this one, at one point. Weinstein, and I can't, I, I, I'm just really thankful that I never actually saw this because this would be one of those things that, you know, my eyes, my eyes, I can't unsee this. Right. But they were, they were wearing flesh-colored tights, and I can't, I mean, the, the thought of Weinstein in flesh-colored tights. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Um, but anyway, they were wearing flesh-colored tights with fig leaves outside of AIM with signs that said AIM kills. What the fuck? Like a proven track record. I, I don't understand. Oh, That's just one of those success. things. Yeah, it's it's. And I, you know, I, this I, guy gets away with murder. I, he also has, and I don't know. Um, just quick reader's digest version. Gilead is a drug company that has just come out with a prophylactic or preventative um, drug for HIV, and it's proven very very effective. So the FDA just approved that. It's very expensive, and it's you know it it still has. It still has a way to go before it's 100% perfect, uh, perfected, but it, you know, it's it's actually a really great way for people to reduce the risk of HIV. People who are sexually active, people who may not always use condoms or use condoms and are worried about it being broken, um, who somebody who has who may have an HIV positive partner, all of these things. So, um, and an AIDS Healthcare Foundation has come out against it. Okay. AIDS Healthcare Foundation, an organization yes. that is set up for the treatment and services, education services for HIV patients, is opposing a prophylactic drug that will help prevent HIV. I remember hearing something about this on the radio recently, and I remember thinking, like, why would, why would they do that? Um, and it didn't make any sense to me, but to, to, to see the other side a little bit, like, I don't remember exactly what the pitfalls or the drawbacks were, but when I heard the drawbacks, I was like, oh, 
hmm, do I even, do I support that drug coming in? Like, it had some pretty significant drop. I don't remember what it, what they were. Do you, do you? It was really expensive. It was really expensive, and, and, and I think there were some liver damage possibilities in that. But, yeah, okay, that doesn't sound like know, enough is, for me to, it must be a different case. No, and, but what Weinstein, what Weinstein is saying is that he thinks that people will stop wearing condoms because, um, because they're taking this drug. So they just need to not have the drug. This is, I mean, this is what he is saying. That if they have this drug, you know, people are going to start being irresponsible and not using condoms. This is, yeah. And, it's, you know, it's, this is Weinstein going, stupid. everybody has to do this. Yeah. Yeah. People and, are stupid. They can't take care of themselves. They don't know what's best for themselves. It's just, it's, it's constantly like the more, you know, the further we go, it seems the more stupid our, our government or thinks we are. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of silly. I don't know. Like, well, we should be able to make our own decisions. And Diane, put these people in power, haven't we? Yeah, that's and, the. And, and Diane, can part. I just expand it out a little bit? That sure. um, where it is right now is the mandatory condoms are for the city of L.A. They're going for the Los Angeles County next, I believe. Sumi Valley has got it in place already. I think I read at some point. Uh, but who gives a shit about Simi Valley anyway? I know they but, asked me. I got a reporter who asked me and, and said, you know, what do you think about Simi Valley, you know, outlawing pornography? And I said, well, tell them, you know, or, or outlawing shoots in Simi Valley. And I said, well, tell them to outlaw Bigfoot too because that's going to be <laughs> So, so I, you know, I, I know that, you know, from reading some of the things that, um, you know, Weinstein has said that he's, this is not just a California effort. Once California is a fine-tuned process... Fine-tuned. We're, we're taking over all of America and North America. Um, but, and, we, and, we, and we all know how that's not going to happen for, you know, places like, you know, Nevada or New Hampshire or, yeah, he, he could probably push it through Florida because Florida hates porn to begin with. But Some. I, I want, I want to kind South of... South Beach, you're not going to find a lot of people in South Beach that hate porn. <laughs> that's true. But I want to um, address the just this constant buzz about... Um, within the adult webmaster and producer community that you hear about, well, if it becomes mandated for all of California or even Los Angeles County, we're just going to pick up and move to Vegas or somewhere. Do you, are you seeing people sort of posturing themselves to get out of town? I've yeah. already seen some people who are already out of town. Um, there have been a couple of companies that have already moved, um, a couple that have been talking about it. And, yeah, I mean, you have to understand, our, and, and I have been approached by other states, by governor's offices and, and people in other states, about what is it going to take to get your industry to our state. So that's really? exciting. And, but understand that the people in our industry pay taxes, are, pay living wages, are excellent employers, are excellent neighbors, are excellent um, community members. So we are actually a wonderful addition to any economy. And not to and, mention the large studios and publishers like, you know, like Hustler and Vivid and Wicked and, you know, the, the, big, the big guys out there. How many millions and millions of dollars of tax revenue do they actually create within a state which is so broke at this point it can't even afford to pay its policemen? Well, that's what pisses I, you know, me off when I, when I saw the SOPA hearings and, and how she was talking about how, you know, tax dollars, she, they, as lo- it was all fine and good as long as they didn't use that law to protect pornography. I mean, it was a backwards-ass, retarded way of protecting anything. I'm, I'll say yeah. that up front. It's just the essence of stupidity. But what she was saying was, it, even if this was good, tax dollars should not be spent on protecting the copyright law, uh, copyright rights of, of, of pornography. So, I yeah. mean, and, and you're saying how profitable we are, and 
uh, and, and what a great addition we are to an economy. Where where is this coming from? And that where... we pay taxes. Yeah, oh, and then... it, it, it's politi- it's politicians grandstanding. Easy, easy, easy. Let me g- g- grab a couple of points. You know, voter turnout points for all of those. You know, people who just want to say publicly that porn's bad. Right. I'm protecting your children, and it's ridiculous. <laughs> We're protecting our children by taking away all of their rights. Right. I'm sorry, but but my children are now adults, and. I, all I'm doing now is apologizing to them for my generation's absolute raping of the Constitution. And that has happened. I mean, you know, not even just adult, but, but the Patriot Act. Well, what the hell? I, I mean, those kinds of things. And, you know, and that's what inspired me to get the, to, to go move into this position because I've always been a really firm believer in protecting people's personal liberties. And, and the people, and, you know, People should thank our, the adult entertainment industry on a daily basis because these folks are on the front lines of protecting everybody's rights. And it's the right to privacy and the right to free expression. And I mean, it's the rights that the country was founded on, right? I actually just, I mean, I heard one recently. I don't know if it actually got passed or not. Um, I got to start, like, marking these articles down so I can reference them. But it was something along the lines of um, protesting is illegal if it's done within a certain distance of anyone being protect, protected by the Secret Service, um, whether you know about it or not. So someone could be in a building, you know, down the street, and they're protected by the Secret Service. All of a sudden, your protest is illegal, and you could be thrown in jail, right? Oh, yeah. it, 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 it loops back to, like, tinted windows are, uh, are illegal. Um, if your car is too low, it's illegal. If your lights are those blue lights, in a lot of places, that's illegal. No cop will ever stop you, but it's a great thing to use if they suspect you of something else they nail you on the little things to keep you uh locked get, up for example and they you know all of our telephone conversations i don't have a gps in my car i mean i am probably one of the most benign people on the planet as far as the government caring about me but i just you know out of principle i do not want the government to be able to follow me in my car if i go if i decide to get up and drive away i don't want them to know where i am i'm you know and i this job has really changed me but you're not going to ever see me walk through one of those scanner things at the the airport I refuse to do that because they have got us walking like you know I just feel like we are just little sheep led to the slaughter and you know yes okay sure I'm going to put my arms up and you can go ahead and scan my entire body yet if I were to do that and put it on film I'd have to get 2257 records for it and, I, and so, you know, I always have an argument with the guy because he keeps saying, the radiation level is much less than your cell phone. And, and I just say, hey, that's not my issue. So, you know, some poor woman has to pat me down every single time. But you know what? And they always ask me if I want to go in a private room. And I was like, nope, you do it right here in front of everybody. In front and, of God you know, the world. I know. And um, it's, you know, it's so, I go there and I look at these lines and I'm tired and I've got all my bags and I'm like, can I just, I, I just kind of, and I did that once. I walked through that thing once, and I was so mad at myself for, for. Well, you know, well, you know, this is an excellent um, transition to actually a future guest we're hoping of having on next month, um, John Stagliano, who's the ultimate oh, liber- libertarian. You, you sort of you were you were channeling Stagliano rant there for about five minutes, so it was wonderful. But we I do let want- this stuff happen. Yep. People need to pay attention and stand up and say, uh uh-uh. uh Yeah. I remember I had a. a there was a friend of mine, and I went back to Eugene, and I was visiting. I was with my my partner, and we were sitting there, and and um, and my friend. They were having in the city. They were having issues around cops tasing people, 
And I remember my friend saying, well, if people don't want to get tased, they shouldn't do things that would cause them to get tased. And Shelly yeah. and I looked at each other and we just went, and I realized, oh my God, you know, do you really believe that anybody, first of all, deserves to be tased? And secondly, um, do you think that, that the police officers out there are really, every one of those police officers really are, are looking out for the best interest of everybody concerned, or are they sometimes power hungry and sometimes just able to do this? And, you know, you listen to some of the cowboy mentalities about this kind of stuff, and it just, yeah, I think tasers was one of the worst inventions ever, ever made. That shit is terrifying. That is actually terrifying. Yeah, yeah. All when, right. when so, she said this, I couldn't believe it. So let me, let me try to loop us towards sort of a transition to an ending of this lovely episode. <laughs> are we done already? God. Yeah, yeah. You, you, this we're, is fun. Yeah, you dirty old men are okay. <laughs> um, oh, that's uh, so going to become part of a commercial or like a sound bite or something. You dirty old men uh, are okay. <laughs> Diane, can you take just a couple of minutes and say what other current initiatives Free Speech Coalition is involved in? Um, just give me some bullet points. Yeah, we're we're working on um, you know as the obviously we'll be continuing on with the condom initiative and looking at if there's litigation that needs to happen. We this may be one that we do litigate. Um, we work a lot around piracy issues. We did um, come out against SOPA because for the very reason Simon was talking about, there are a lot of people who have absolutely no idea what they're doing, making regulations about an absolute platform that our industry depends significantly on and we were worried that that some of the things that they were proposing they would be able to use for censorship and as you can tell I don't have a tremendous amount of trust as far as the fact that they oh we won't do that no no I think that they will and we're so, from the government and we're here to help yeah <laughs> you know the and biggest thing just, about the, the SOPA hearings, just, just quickly, I know I've harped on a little bit because I watched this live stream and it just drove me crazy, was the fact that the word nerd was used in a derogatory manner throughout the entire thing. Like, I'm not nerd enough to know. Or the nerds, and this, you can go back, I, I think they have, like, I hope they have a recording of them, but this was live. And I'm thinking, the people who designed and built the greatest economic and and idea producing i mean the in, the invention of the internet the, this thing is like this is taking humanity to the next level it's making us a global population like has never been seen before and the people who design the geniuses that make this thing work are nerds don't you think what? it's hilarious that they don't get it though it's just I mean, it's this unbelievable is a, this is just perfectly because you know the, you guys don't really get that being a nerd it's fucking or being awesome. one of those people uh, means that you just invented Facebook. That means yes. that, you know, you're Bill Gates. I mean, it's like, yeah, you kind of want those nerds in your corner, we're, folks. Yeah, we're, we're past, and they you know, giving them the wedges internet. and shit, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, not, we're, not, we're not putting nerds. They were the bullies of the 50s. You know that, that right? That, yeah. Wait a minute. You're talking, let's not talk about Mitt Romney. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> never mind. That was a cheap shot. Magic underpants. Low blow phone. Piracy issues and and trying to um, we've actually worked with tube sites to see how we can use that platform to monetize and bring money back to the content providers. So that's one of the areas that we're working on. We're looking at the, the latest technology, healthcare benefits for the industry. We're always working on that. Um, we're looking for the retail side. We're also focusing more on the zoning issues because a lot of a lot of your local stores, pay attention at your local stores, give them support because you get a morality in the media, you know, person in your town who's decided they wanted to go against it and they can stir up a lot of trouble for your local retail store. So, so support your local novelty and, 
and um, video stores, bookstores. And so we, we're helping with, with that. We're um, patent trolls, which is an interesting topic, is something that where people buy up whole sets of patents and decide, oh, yeah, I think it might, it might work over there. Let's see if we can get these people to pay us some money. So we're kind of working on the patent troll issues and if people have patent challenges, what to do and help, help educate the industry on those kinds of things. So um, that's just kind of in a nutshell, 2257 lawsuit right up in, in the very forefront of issues as well. So. Those okay. are a few things we're working on right now. So, okay, um, that's wonderful. Let's talk about Free Speech Coalition needs to be fed, needs to have fuel to keep the wheels and the bus going round and round. Um, I, would strong, I, would, I would strongly <laughs> urge any of the um, adult professionals, um, anywhere from studio heads um, down to individual performers, there's a very nice um, smorgasbord of price plans that go down to really, really cheap. Yeah. Um, is there a way that actual consumers uh, that want to support Free Speech Coalition can actually support your efforts? Because you are working for them as well. There's two ways that, that consumers can support us. Consumer membership, so sign up for that. We also, and you'll get a weekly newsletter from us that kind of lets you know what's going on in the industry. And um, it's an electronic newsletter, and so it kind of gives you the top stories of, of what's impacting our personal freedoms and our industries. Um, legal issues, a lot of those, and some of them are just fun articles. Um, and then um, also donations. So any, you know, we've had people leave money to us in their estates, and and understand that we are, you know, very similar to to the ACLU type entities where we're out there fighting for your personal freedoms, fighting on the front lines to make sure that you can watch the incredible, incredible content that people like Colin uh, produce, and. Um, and we're, we're going to continue, but it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of efforts, it takes a lot of money. So if you can, go to www.freespeechcoalition.com, join, become a consumer member, or, and or um, donate. And the other piece of motivation for consumers, um, aside from just doing the right thing and you know, um, protecting the people who are, or helping the people who are trying to protect your right to do it, think about people like in the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, um, in parts of India, in Indonesia, um, people who don't have a freedom of speech within their constitution, um, and even if they did have it, there was no one there to defend it. What do those people have to do to be able to access adult? I mean, they have to go through proxy servers in nearby countries. If they get caught, they can have their head cut off. So, I mean, that can be a motivation just to you know, in this kind of post-9-11 day of Patriot Act and lining up like sheep to just $10 here and there yeah. can keep the kind of the moral or keep the kind of libertarian, I don't want to say libertarian, what do I want to say? The, 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 the wheels yeah. of free speech going. The fundamental constitutional issues. Fundamental constitutional issues. And it's just, you know, and it's, it's unfortunate because our constitution is being, it's just being wiped away. And it's going to be people like Larry Flynn. It's going to be people like Colin. It's going to be people, you know, it's going to be free speech coalition that's going to be working for these, these rights. People seriously underestimate the good that those folks do um, when you've got John Stagliano up there. And he has a wife who's pregnant. And he's, you know, he knows that he could settle and, and have it and not ever see any jail time, but he's looking at 30 years. But he insisted upon going through this because he knew damn well that, that the material he put out there was good material and it wasn't obscene. It had artistic value. 
and he was going to let the people decide. I mean, that was one of the bravest things I've ever seen. I, I lost a lot of sleep worrying about him, and I hope yep. you can get him on, Colin. He's an awesome um, I'm you just guys want to watch for that. I, I, I'm just waiting for the right moment to get everybody <laughs> on here. So I think, I think that kind of covered a lot of ground. Um, Diane, sometime down the future, um, when new developments come up, we'll have you back on for periodic updates and new stuff. And so, Simon, back to you to get us out of here. All right, guys. Thank you so much for watching episode number four here on DirtyOldMen.TV. Thank you so much, Diane, for um, everything that you do for our industry. And not only our industry, but um, the country as a whole. Um, and, and, again, protecting those founding uh, the concrete at, uh, onto which the, the entire country and its belief system is, is built. Um, that Without that, there's literally nothing to save. There's nothing left, right? So thank you so much for what you do. And, on a, personal sure. note, oh, go. and on a personal note to Diane, um, we go to a lot of these adult entertainment shows, and your partner, Shelley, and my wife, Angie, they never go to these things, or they rarely do. So... We, we're kind of like we're kind of like a show we're conference, we're conference spouses. <laughs> so let's just keep going to those because we get a lot of good work done. I will. I will. Absolutely. Thanks, uh, you guys. It was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much for being on. Of course, uh, follow. Um, do you guys have a Twitter account? I, I, I'm sure it's been on the screen this whole time. But say that again. Yeah, add the army. Uh, okay, so you guys can go follow that. It's right on the screen there. Also, go ahead and follow at Wasteland Movies on Twitter and myself at Simpatico TV. You guys will know what's going on with the show when we put out new episodes, who's coming up. We'd also really like you to ask questions. Just tweet at us or post on our Facebook, which is also there on the overlay, uh, and, and just ask us questions. What do you guys want to know from the people that we're having on the show and stuff? That's the cool thing about social media is the ability to interact uh, together and kind of uh, produce content that you, really guys, you guys really want to see the most. So thank you again so much for watching we'll see you next week i'm not sure who our guest is but i'm sure it'll be someone awesome uh, again thank you diane we'll I, I see believe, you guys. I, I, I believe we have a couple of product reviewers and demonstrators from cal exotics oh yes toy company uh, <laughs> they're, they're coming it's going to look kind of like a cooking show so come back, for the <laughs> come, back come back for cooking with cal exotics next week you got it guys see you next time thanks you guys and we're out cool <laughs> there there you go thank you diane that was, that, that was wonderful yeah.